This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 24. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I was so honored to meet Rachel a couple months ago when my husband, Cameron, began working with her and her husband, Rich, to tell their story through a video that's going to be coming out in the next couple months. Rachel has a beautiful story of how the Lord has called her to motherhood in a variety of ways. And in this episode, I join Rachel in her small basement home, and we chat about her upcoming adoption and move to Uganda as full-time missionaries. Rachel also shares her experience of healing and restoration from past abuse, and the ways the Lord has redeemed those wounds to unite her with the poor and marginalized. This was my first time hearing the whole of Rachel's story, and I was so honored that she allowed me to record it to share it with you all as well. Thanks for listening in. Here is my chat with Rachel. So Rachel, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and what your life has been like the last few years. Awesome. Yes. So uh, the last couple of years have just been, I'd say, a profound experience of restoration. Um, You know, the verse from Joel Chapter 2, verses 25, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Mm. I actually have that tattooed on my back. (laughs) Yes, um, and I've just been experiencing a season of unbelievable restoration and the Lord just um, revealing His faithfulness and His goodness Mm. to me in a profound and really miraculous way, Mm. I'd say. Rich and I got married on June 20th of 2014, and it was just, our wedding day was so awesome. It was a day of tremendous victory, and um, I guess the sacrament of matrimony has been completely revolutionary in my walk with Jesus. Mm. Um, You know, I was talking about restoration and how the Lord's been drawing me deeper. Um, As soon as I entered the sacrament, uh, you know, my vocation, the Lord kind of brought me to this place of um, really deep inner healing. Mm. And um, it was like I went into open heart surgery all of a sudden as soon as Rich and I got married. And I wasn't really expecting it. You know, we got married and we had just returned from our honeymoon in Cancun. And I thought that we were pregnant. And, you know, I had this whole plan like we're going to buy a house and Rich was going to go to school to be a funeral director. Um, And we just had this idea of like, this Christian American dream that we were going to live. Like everything was perfect, you know? And um, God had a radically different plan. Mm. And it's like as soon as we entered into the sacrament of matrimony, uh, the Lord was like, he started to speak to both of us in the silence of our hearts. It was about four months into marriage, and he was just saying, you know, I'm calling you deeper. Mm. I'm calling you to give me all of yourself as a couple you know Um, I had thought about religious life and my husband had for many years thought that he was called to serve as a priest Mm -hmm. and the Lord was revealing to us early on in our marriage just because you're not called to be a nun and just because you're not called to be a priest doesn't mean I'm not calling you entirely to myself And um, so this was this kind of deeper conversion. All of a sudden, as a couple, we were like, oh, my goodness, the Lord wants us all for himself. And he wants our marriage to be really 
mission oriented. And that was like a profound realization for us. Um, and so about four months into marriage, we started going to adoration like late at night and just opening up the scriptures and diving in and just seeking the Lord and saying, Jesus, what do you have for us? You know, you're calling us to more. What is it? Mm. You know, and yet I was going through this, like I said, this profound, um, experience of healing too. Mm. Um, so we ended up going to um, Family Missions Company's Proclaim Conference in the fall of 2014. And we were like electrocuted by this missionary <laughs> impulse. Wow. Um, all of a sudden, the Lord was like, I'm calling you guys mm. to give everything for the sake of the yeah. gospel and to be my disciples and to go to the ends of the uh, ends of the earth, you know. And... Um, and I just remember being like, Lord, am I too broken? You know, um, are you sure? Do you really want to use me? How can you use me, God? Like, I am so wounded. Um, and it was at this time, at this conference, really, where the Lord revealed to me, you know what, Rachel, your brokenness puts you in touch with your desperation and your poverty of spirit. And I don't want to use you in spite of your brokenness. I want to use you because of it. Mm. You know, you are broken enough now so that I can actually use you. Um, St. Therese says, you know, it is hard enough to humble ourselves, to bear patiently our imperfections. There lies true sanctity for us. And I guess I've just come to understand that the things in my life that make me feel as if I am an outcast or on the margins of society, the things in my life that make me feel as if I don't belong, you know, the hurts, the injustices that I've experienced, and I've experienced some, some profound injustice in my, in my life, um, these are actually my pot of gold. These are the things that the Lord has given me really to put me in touch with the poor and in touch with those who are marginalized and to be actually be able to, in some sense, have um, solidarity with them and, and real understanding, sympathy, love. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to serve them well without having first gone through uh, the things that have broken me. Mm. So also just in yeah. that spirit, like... I don't know if I ever want to leave that place, hmm. you know, that place of just absolute desperation for Jesus to come through. Like, hmm. you know, being on the edge of my seat saying like, Lord, if you don't come through, like, hmm. you know, I have nothing, you know, I can't do this without you. I am so broken. I am so empty. I'm so poor on the inside that without you, Lord, you know, I have nothing to give, hmm. you know, and I, I, I just, I've come to understand like, this is, this is the secret, you know. Um, Jesus says, I want you to come up to the lowest place, you know. And so I want to just be low. I want to be in the dirt, you know. I want to be just truly humble before God. And, and so I'm thankful for the things in my life that have done that to me, mm -hmm. you know. I love the quote, and I don't know who said it, but the church is a hospital for sinners, mm. not a 
showcase of saints or a um, trophy case of, of saints, you know, and I just, I just love that. And I love um, how the Lord calls us to be real and to be vulnerable and, and to just um, desperately need him, you know? Mm. Yeah. So. Wow. I love that. So, so here you are in your early years of marriage mm-hmm. and you're going through this like restoration and mm-hmm. healing in Christ and, um, and then you have this inkling at the same time to serve and to give of yourself totally for, for Jesus. And then you go on this retreat or conference yep. <laughs> and that's when you feel, is that when you feel the initial call? Like we might be called to be a missionary couple. Is that when that happened or what was that like? I know. Okay. So actually, um, you know, it's crazy when I was 10 years old, uh, I received my missionary calling, actually. Wow. And um, it's taken, you know, so many years to even recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been meditating a lot recently on how the Lord speaks to children mm. and how um, how important it is that we as parents create situations for our children to just be exposed to the spirit of God and in a situation where they're able to really hear the word of God and, you know, let it marinate and let it sink in and let the Lord like plant seeds because, um, here's another quote by St. Therese. Oh my goodness. She said, Oh, how many souls might attain to great sanctity if only they were wisely guided from their childhood, you know? And so I think back and I'm like, Oh my goodness, if only I, um, if only I could become more like the 10-year-old version of me, you yeah. know, because God was moving in this profound way, um, at least in my life. That's kind of when I uh, was awoken to the spiritual life and awoken to the spirit of God and and um, became aware of his presence and started to seek him. And, you know, I wasn't out there quite yet telling my friends about Jesus. You know, I was like in fifth grade or whatever, and it was a little embarrassing. I had a what would Jesus do bracelet on, but I was a little embarrassed to wear it at that time. You know, and I was just in the beginning stages of just falling in love, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, it was right around that time um, that I started to experience like the gift of tears and going to mass and suddenly Mm -hmm. crying and not really knowing what was happening, but experiencing this deep joy in my heart and, you know, looking to my parents and them saying, well, that's the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So I was falling in love with. Beautiful that your parents said that. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And just that the understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person, Mm -hmm. you know, a person, um, not just a dove or, you know, Mm -hmm. he's a person. And, um, and so I was at mass, um, one Sunday with my mom and my dad and um, this song Here I Am Lord was playing after Holy Eucharist and um, I was 10 years old and uh, I think you probably know how the lyrics go Here I am Lord, is it I Lord I have heard you calling in the night I will go Lord if you lead me I will hold your people in my heart mm-hmm. and as I sat in the pew you know, I just heard the Lord ask me to hold his people in my heart. And as just a little kid, you know, I said, sure, God, I'll hold your people in my heart. And I had just an imagination of me in a faraway place like like Africa, you know, you know, with God's people. And, and 
they were my people and I, I belong to them. And, you know, this was God's plan for me. And so these things were stirring in my heart as a 10-year-old kid, you know. And, um, and right around that time, actually, my dad, he, um, he put up these pictures of starving Sudanese children. Um, he put them up on a refrigerator in hopes of cultivating kind of an attitude of gratitude and um, an awareness of global poverty. And so he took these pictures out because there was this horrible famine going on in Sudan in the 90s. And he cut these pictures out of the newspaper and he put them on the refrigerator. And so when I ran to the fridge to grab, you know, a string cheese or a yogurt or whatever it was, I would see these images and they profoundly rocked my world. You know, and so it's interesting to look back now and just see, wow, God, you were working in a profound and mighty way in my mm-hmm. childhood. And I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but now it's all kind of making sense. You know, those seeds are now blossoming mm-hmm. here 20 years later. And um, when I was in high school, I cut out my own images of the Sudanese and I put them in my, in my bedroom, and I just remembered them, and I prayed for them, you know, and I wanted to be a missionary in Africa more than anything in the entire world, but the Lord was definitely, at that point, calling me to abandon that desire mm. and to just seek Him, and so um, for the last decade, at least, I have completely abandoned the entire thing to the Lord, you know? Yeah. And, um, and what did that look like for you? Cause I can imagine, um, maybe a lot of the women listening have also felt that call to be, mm-hmm. um, missionaries and maybe the Lord has asked them like, I need to take this desire of yours right now. And, um, so what, what was that like for you having to give that up for a time? And right. Yeah. You know, I gave it up to the Lord and I gave it up as if I would never be given it back. Mm. You know, it was a real authentic experience of surrender. And I, I'd say it started when I was about 18 years old and I went to Franciscan University. Um, you know, I was studying theology and religious education and I entered the Little Flowers household um, and I was learning about intimacy with God and that really the ultimate goal is is obviously to be a saint and to be whatever it is that God had in mind you know for me when he created me and you know I remember praying prayers like Lord if you want me to be a garbage man or a garbage woman you know whatever it is I just want to be that I just want to be what you want me to be Jesus Mm. You know, I had these great dreams and aspirations of doing something awesome for God and being this missionary to the ends of the earth. And and he called me to give that up, you know, and he taught me that the the, the thing he preferred was intimacy and union with him. And so he entered or he invited me to enter like a season and it was pretty much a decade <laughs> of just intimacy with him. And learning the power of intercessory prayer. And mm-hmm. and um, Therese of Lisieux, St. Therese, the patroness of missions, really was kind of like my guide through this, mm-hmm. this 10 years of journeying kind of in silence. And, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes by Therese here, I'm going to pull it up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's so profound. It teaches us so much uh, about 
about missions. So for about a decade, the Lord just wanted to teach me that um, intimacy with him was the secret, you know, to really effectively spreading the kingdom, you know. Mm. Um, It's not going out there and showing the skills that you've got, you know, as a disciple or whatever. It's just humility and and seeking the Lord and, and wanting to just love him and just be loved by him. And I just love this quote by Therese. You know, and she she died at age 24. She was a Carmelite nun. And, you know, the sisters at Carmel didn't even know what to say about her at her funeral because she was such a nobody. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing that she was called the greatest saint of our times by Pope John Paul II. And so she teaches us something about true missionary activity. Um, one of her one of her quotes here it is, "Oh Jesus, I feel called to be a warrior, a priest, an apostle, a doctor of the church, a martyr. I would like to accomplish all the most heroic deeds. I feel in me the courage of a crusader. I would like to die on a battlefield in defense of the church. I would enlighten souls like the prophets and the doctors." I would travel the whole world over to preach thy name and to plant on infidel soil thy glorious cross, O my beloved. But one mission alone would not satisfy my longings. I would like at the same time to be announcing the gospel in all parts of the world, even the most distant islands. I would be a missionary, not for a few years only, but were it possible from the beginning of the world until the consummation of time. Wow. <laughs> and so like that, that missionary, yes, that yeah. zeal. And just now to see like what God has done with that profound love that she had mm. for him. I mean, she just loved him and was just loved by him. And that transformed the world. Like her message of the little way and of childlike love of Jesus has spread throughout the entire world, you know, and so she's a, a real model of discipleship and of, of missions, mm. you know, and she's all about doing small things with great love. So, you know, to all the moms up there who are changing their diapers and, you know, doing little things in secret, and nobody can see you. You are able to offer each one of those little sacrifices with profound love mm. and never hesitate, never doubt for even a second. You know, never hesitate to believe that Jesus is using that because he is. He's using it to to change the world. Mm-hmm. Love changes the world, you know. And intercessory prayer is the most powerful force in missionary activity. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I want to ask you more about that intercessory prayer because I myself don't feel like an inclination naturally to, <laughs> to pray for other people. Mm-hmm. I think it's something I need to kind of cultivate. Is that something you felt like just maybe was a natural gift for you or did you need to work at like cultivating intercessory prayer and incorporating it in your life? Mm-hmm. I think as I've journeyed with Jesus, um, intercessory prayer, you know, in and of itself was never really a goal, but just Jesus was and is my goal. I just want him. I just want to be one with him. I just, 
I just want intimacy with God. And I think that that is intercessory prayer. I think that living in union with God and just living in that experience, Mm -hmm. that just bears enormous fruit. You know, I think the key to intercession is just intimacy, Mm -hmm. you know, and having that idea at the forefront of our minds, like, Lord, I love you. And I'm just offering up, you know, whatever it is, these joys, these sorrows, I'm offering them up. Mm-hmm. Um, to you right now and you know for a particular intention I often think of certain people or different things come to mind and you know I just carry on with my day with Jesus and hold those things in my heart and that's that's intercession you know mm-hmm. okay so I want to take a step back a little bit yeah. back to your story so um when you first got married mm-hmm. were you was that when you went on this conference or was that not until later yeah so we we went on this conference um, about four months into marriage. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, were you then both working for Family Missions Company after that? Or what happened? Yeah. There? So we went to this conference and we were just, like I said, we were like electrocuted by um, this missionary impulse. And we just wanted to become missionaries right then and there, you know, foreign missionaries. And we ended up going and speaking with the directors of Family Missions Company and sharing our story. And, you know, it was really beautiful because the director, I think, could sense that the Lord was really working on me as far as healing. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, like I had mentioned before, I was in this profound moment of restoration and healing. And I'm so grateful that Jesus sort of preserved that time so that I could really kind of dive into his goodness and just receive Mm. the restoration that he had for me before entering missions, you know? Sure. So there was a lot of wisdom in that. But FMC has a policy where you should be married a year before actually entering the community. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that too. And I'm so grateful for that wisdom. Um, So we didn't enter FMC right away, but we did feel that the Lord was still calling us to serve. And that's what brought us to Boys Town. We worked okay. um, for about a year at Boys Town in Omaha, Nebraska, okay. where Rich and I ran a family-style treatment home for at-risk kids. We had wow. six teenage girls. Well, actually, they were between the ages of um, nine and 14. Okay. Um, but we had six of them and I mean, that was crazy. So we, you know, we hadn't conceived, but our first year of marriage, we had six, we had six girls with us in our home. It was awesome. Yeah. It was absolutely awesome. And it was at that time that the Lord started to stir in our hearts, just this love for, um, at risk kids Mm. and, um, kind of this charism of orphan care started to stir in our hearts. I remember while we were at Boys Town, there was a 16-year-old girl um, who came to us and said something like, I'm just so afraid of aging out of the system. I'm so afraid that no one is going to choose me. No one's going to adopt me. And while we were working at Boys Town, we weren't able to adopt any of the children. But I remember being at Perkins, like in the middle of the night, sitting in a booth with Rich, just hysterically crying, just asking him, are we supposed to adopt this girl? You know, here we are like 29 years old. Is this our kid? You know, should we be adopting her? It just, 
my heart went out to her in mm-hmm. such a profound way. And I just, I just realized, you know, I could adopt this child. Absolutely. Like, without a doubt. And Rich realized that too. And so that was the beginning of us feeling in our hearts that absolutely we could love a child that didn't come from us, mm-hmm. but we would love that child and realize that child what was for us, you know, wow. and, and the beauty of adoption and what that means. Like it just rocked our world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we all are adoptive children of God, mm. you know. God's plan for his family is adoption, you know, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption, which allows us to cry, Abba, Father, you know, and, and so we just love, we love what adoption is. We love that God, you know, looks at each one of us at our worst when we feel we don't belong, and he says, I choose you, yeah. I want you, and I want to make you a part of my family, and that's, you know, the gift that is in Christ Jesus mm-hmm. is to be adoptive children of God. And so if that's God's plan for his family, oh my goodness, I am so honored that it's his plan for my family as well. Beautiful. Yeah. So so then at that point, did you adopt or what? Where, where oh yeah. Were so you? we were talking about missions. Okay. I know it's crazy because our missionary journey and our journey of adoption is kind of all intertwined. It's kind of I was just journaling about that the other day, too, how it's all sort of wrapped in one. Um, But basically, after Boys Town, we ended up joining FMC. Okay. um, And So you were with Boys Town for a year. For about a year, yeah. So those women were, the young women were in your home for that year, and you were just helping to raise them? We were acting kind of as like a mother figure and a father figure. It's called house parenting. Oh, okay. So we were were serving as their parents at that time, but we weren't adopting them or even fostering them necessarily, but um, running a a treatment home Mm -hmm. um, as they were kind of in rehabilitation. Um, And what was that like for you parenting when you were so newly married yourself like still probably figuring out your relationship with each other and then having older children oh my gosh it was insane it was absolutely (laughs) insane and you know we look back and we laugh I mean it was just crazy but God really taught us how to work together Hmm. you know we found out really quick what Rich's weaknesses were and what my weaknesses Hmm. were and actually it's crazy because he is strong where I am weak, and I am strong where he is weak. And we got yeah. to, you know, discover that on our own really mm. quickly. And the Lord, like, revealed to us um, how to work together, how to communicate, you know. And it was the greatest blessing mm. of our early marriage. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And we love those girls. I carry their pictures with me everywhere I go. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's part of your story. That's yes. so amazing. Yes. So then the Lord called you back to Family Missions Company yep. after that year. Yep. And and um, Family Missions Company has been experiencing outrageous growth um, in the last five years. Uh, so they needed a full-time director of development, and Rich served in that role over the last year and a half. Okay. Um leading like this tremendous capital campaign. And I mean, we went from five years ago, Family Missions Company, I think had like 
30 some missionaries in about five different countries. And, you know, now we have 200 some missionaries in 12 different countries. It's just, there's been this exponential growth. I don't know if it's because of Pope Francis and his sort of charism of going out into the margins and, yeah. you know, this, this focus on missions and, um, and the poor and, and the joy of the gospel. But there's just been this real um, growth of our organization in the last five years. So Rich served as the director of development. It was kind of like our first mission post. It was stateside, okay. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was then that we we actually did feel God call us to open a certified foster home in the state of Louisiana. Okay. And wow. so we fostered children, and we had two beautiful placements. The first placement, um, it was crazy because we got certified for a baby between the ages of zero and two. Okay. We, we had our nursery perfectly set up for this little baby. And then we get the phone call the day we got certified. And the worker said, you know, hey, Rachel. Uh, so I've got a 15-year-old girl who just had a baby. They're in the hospital. They haven't been released yet. And they have nowhere to go. She's been in 40-plus homes. It's a difficult case. Would you be willing to take her and her child? Wow. And I, I mean, seriously, it was like it was like God was saying, are you willing to, to welcome 15-year-old Mary of Nazareth and her child yeah. Jesus into yeah. your home, you know? And so we said yes. And we welcomed them into our home and... Thankfully, because of the training that we had received from Boys Town, we were able to really have a powerful experience with her and were able to um, kind of break through with her in, in some ways and disciple her. And um, we're still in touch with her to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was our first experience. Um, it was crazy because it was like, all of a sudden, you know, I felt like a grandma because I was yeah. <laughs> taking this 15 year old wow. girl. And I was, you know, 30 years old and and trying to just teach her how to love her baby Mm. and how to take care of her little one, you know. So at that time, were you like a stay-at-home mom and Mm -hmm. she was working full-time? Yeah, so I was living on the mission space, um, stay-at-home mom Mm -hmm. to this child and to her child while Rich worked full-time in development at Family Missions Company. Okay. And then after this placement, we received... Our second placement, um, three little children, beautiful children, that um, that we just fell head over heels in love with, and um, you know we're still we're still going through that process of grief because we did end up losing those kids, mm-hmm. but you know I don't look at it as a loss because they have been reunited with their mom, mm-hmm. and the goal of fostering is always reunification, Mm. you know, and God taught me a lot through this whole process because my goodness, when I got them, there was nothing that I wanted more in all the world than to adopt these children. I just fell in love with them and um, Rich did as well. We just, we fit together like a glove, Mm -hmm. really, you know, and um, we ended up meeting their mom, of course, and um, it wasn't an ordinary meeting. It was it was really an encounter. I encountered this woman, 
and I heard her story and my heart moved and I realized very quickly that I could not call myself a Christian and at the same time want this woman to fail just so that I could have her kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, um, it was hard, you know? I, 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 I wrestled really hard on the inside, but God broke through and he, he changed my heart and he gave me a new heart and he gave me a love for this mother, a profound love. And I was able to kind of disciple her, actually, and walk with her. And and um, Jesus just revealed, you know, this actually is my motherhood. This is my motherhood. Just because just I am not going to call these kids mine forever doesn't mean I'm not loving them as a mother. Mm-hmm. You know, maternal love means laying down your life for your kids. And so God called me to lay down my life to the point of losing these kids mm-hmm. for an ultimately victorious story of redemption and of love and of victory and to see this woman go through rehab and get her life back on track and get out of homelessness and get out of addiction and to get her kids back it's been the most profound victory and just to have been called to serve in that place you know I've come to just give thanks and and Rich and I will love these kids forever I mean they're the first kids that ever called us mom and dad you know but it was a profound revelation of what love means you know and love is as mother Teresa says we're supposed to love until it hurts and then we're supposed to keep on loving you know and it's one thing to know that in your head and then another thing to have Jesus bring you through that you know and have that be a brutal reality in your life you know and um I'm still healing but I'm really thankful Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> I love what you're saying about what motherhood actually is, like mm-hmm. laying down your life. And that motherhood looks different for yes. all mothers. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I love that. So, okay, so going from there, then mm-hmm. is this then when you feel the call, you and Rich together, like maybe we're actually supposed to be doing active mission outside the U.S.? Or what was that like? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, it's just been crazy over the last almost four years. You know, we have struggled. We have really, really struggled. We've struggled with infertility, unexplained, completely unexplained infertility. Neither Mm -hmm. one of us have been diagnosed with any kind of infertility. And so it's just been, you know, a completely unexplained situation and I've come to accept that you know what with God there's always an explanation so that's been a profound realization in this journey of motherhood for me Um, but you know over the last almost four years we've taken in 11 kids we kind of gave up entirely Hmm. on the idea of having kids you know and God was he was doing something new this past May my husband Rich had a dream and he is not a dreamer you know he does not um, experience you know I guess 
strange charismatic things all the time you know i i'm really passionate about charismatic gifts and life in the holy spirit and you know rich and i balance each other out in a lot of ways (laughs) so he did experience this very powerful dream um and it involved africa it involved us being in africa um, surrounded by lots of african children um he didn't tell me about this dream for quite some time. He actually kept it quiet in his heart and he mm. he spoke to some other people about what was going on in his heart and he was just he knew that if he came to me and told me that God was doing something in him that I mean that was like the end of it. You know? <laughs> I, my bags were packed Let's even go yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like he was really wise and prudent about it. Mm-hmm. He 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 just sat with the Lord for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And he did some research. Um, crazy enough, at this time, South Sudan was in the middle of the most horrific humanitarian crisis. I mean, it's like the front line of, you know, global crises, you know, right now at, in the world. And, and, um, and so Rich was realizing, wow, God's, I mean, Rich and I together ended up realizing that God was doing something at a very specific moment in history. You know, he was mm. calling us. He was doing something in our hearts and saying, now, now is the time. I am calling you. I am wow. sending you. And it's at this moment in history that you are most really needed, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, so Rich wrote a an email to the bishop in northern Uganda because there was this influx of South Sudanese refugees going to the Arua Diocese. Now, this, this bishop, he has over one million South Sudanese refugees, primarily women and children, living in refugee camps throughout his diocese. And he has no missionaries, no lay missionaries. Wow. I mean, the need is tremendous. So when Rich emailed this bishop, he email, he immediately emailed Rich back and said, the Lord is calling you. Come now. Wow. You know, and this was this wow. profound experience then. So when Rich did reveal this to me, you know, I had known now at this point that God was, was moving in his heart in this way. But the Lord moved very quickly. You know, and we we ended up going to Uganda and spending a number of weeks with the bishop and traveling with with the papal nuncio and the bishop to different refugee settlements. And um, it was profoundly transforming. And Rich and I knew absolutely this is where he was calling us. You know, and for me, it was it was awesome because it was like, you know what? The Lord was giving me back my dream. And. It really was meant to be all along. It really was truly a vocation, a calling, something that he had planned for me, but that it was just a matter of his timing, you know, and a matter of him teaching me so much about intercessory prayer and about intimacy with him and about poverty of spirit and about service and getting me to that place, that posture of like total dependency on him before he would ever send me, you know, and and doing the same thing in, in Richie's life of just bringing us to a place, to our wits end, really, to where the, you know, the, the, 
place in our hearts where we are just so desperate for Jesus to come through. And it wasn't until we were at that place that he said, wow. I'm ready to send you, you know. That's amazing. They're ready to go, yeah. So did did Rich know about um, that part of your childhood, like about your father, like having the Sudanese pictures and how that like impacted your, your life so much? Did Rich know that? He knew, yeah, he knew that like, that I would always pray for the Sudanese. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knew that was somewhere deep inside my heart. But we didn't talk about it all the time. He just, he was kind of like, you know, Rachel always talks about the Sudanese. There's just kind of this weird thing going on there. I don't know. Yeah. She just has this love for Africa, and I don't really know what to do with it. But he kind of knew, like, if I ever said I wanted to be a missionary in Africa, that's, you know, the end of the story. <laughs> like, this is my wife's yeah. heart. This is, wow. her, this is her passion, you know. And so he knew that. Um, but it was something where I just, you know, I entered marriage and thinking that it was never actually going to happen. And, you know, it was just more of an intercessory calling for me. And like I said, I had really abandoned it to the Lord. And so when God moved in my husband's life so radically, it was insane for me to just sit back and watch it happen, you know, and like... It was like, okay, Jesus, I'm along for the ride, you know, and Rich is leading it. Like, he's leading us on this path now, you know. This was not me pushing my husband to fulfill my dream. This was like him taking initiative and leading me. And God, God's dream, ultimately, was never my dream. Mm -hmm. It was God's dream. Mm -hmm. Him just revealing, you know, now's the time. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Like, things from even our childhood, like desires that we have or things that are placed on our heart that maybe don't come to fruition until years and years later. It's amazing. Totally. Um, I wanted to mention, because you briefly mentioned to me before we started recording that you had journaled something from yes. your childhood that you recently found. Could you tell me about that? Because that's oh amazing God. to me. That Totally. It's, oh my goodness. Um, writing has been such a gift to me personally just for my own walk with Jesus, just for my own. It's not, it's not public. It's just private. It's just, you know, I I highly encourage people to write just for their own edification. I mean, to be able to look back at the things that you've written throughout the years and to see how God has come through and to see how faithful he is and to, you know, to even just recall, oh my gosh, he was moving in my life and in my heart in that way 10 years ago and now look at what he's done Mm. it's amazing and it encourages faith I mean it really it really has been one of the greatest gifts of my life writing so when I was very young um I had a journal you know I I had a number of journals well recently I came across this journal from seventh grade and in it I had written all about the best things in life. And I said that the best things in life were adoption and working in the third world with the poor. Choosing an occupation where you don't make money, but you serve. You serve the poor. I said that being a missionary was the best possible job that you could do. You know, and I wrote these things in seventh grade and and then forgot about them for you know the last 20 years or whatever and here i am now coming across these journals and just realizing wow god 
you were at work. You were working in my heart. You were revealing things. And, you know, it's taken all these years, me going astray or, you know, missing the boat on certain things. But you had this plan and, and here you are. You're faithful. Yeah. God's faithful, you know. Oh, that's amazing. Sorry to take us off track. No, there. I just totally. wanted you to share that because yes. that was so that's so awesome. And I think I've fallen out of the habit of journaling and mm-hmm. this is just inspiring me to kind of get back into that habit. So because awesome. then you can just look back and see his faithfulness and how he totally yeah, fulfills those things. Okay, so you had gone to Uganda. Yes. And um met with the bishop there and seen all these like refugee mm-hmm. camps or settlements. Um, and then at that point, did you come back to the United States? You stayed there for a little bit and then came back yes. to basically prepare to go. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, oh my goodness. And this has just been one of the most miraculous experiences of divine providence that we've ever experienced. We, um, we left Uganda with the intention of going back by November 1st. Okay. The bishop said, you know, go home, do a little fundraising, finish selling all of your possessions, mm-hmm. and then come back, move to Uganda. Uganda is your home. And so we had this new, newfound joy and excitement. Uganda is our home. We're going back. We're going to serve the people of South Sudan. You know, and and so I I came back just like ready to finish get ri- getting ready excuse me finish getting rid of absolutely everything, and um, we were just we were like on a different wavelength. I mean, we were just <laughs> we were just people were telling us we were crazy, you know. But you had your call, and it was like, okay, let's do it. This is what the oh, Lord wants. Yes, we were just moving. A million miles per minute, you know, Mm -hmm. and at this time in our life, you know, we were, um, I guess having these conversations like, thank you, God, that we don't have a baby, you know, for the first time in our life, like we're like child free and this is awesome because we're going to go to Uganda and it'll be way more convenient not to have a kid and all this stuff. And, um, it's crazy now to even think about it because it was like, the moment in our lives when we entirely let it go, completely let it go. You know, we had been married for four years. And like I said, we had welcomed 11 at-risk kids into our hearts and into our home. And, you know, there were moments where we thought maybe we'd be able to adopt and then it didn't work out. And then we've been struggling with unexplained infertility, totally, completely unexplained. And it's just been this mystery, this, you know, God, what are you doing? What's going on? Do you have a plan for our life? Do you have a plan for our family? When are we going to conceive? When are we going to adopt? Like, when are we going to have a kid, you know? And it was the first time that we just entirely let it go. And we were just moving a million miles per minute, heading back to Uganda when Rich got a phone call. We had come back. Um, I was finishing, you know, wrapping up some sales and of different possessions. And he got this phone call out of nowhere from a lawyer in the state of Wyoming who had kept our information for a couple of summers. And when he got this phone call, he didn't even know who it was. He's like, who is this? <laughs> you know, and basically yeah. we had been matched. We had been chosen by this young girl. The child in her womb was scheduled to be aborted while we were in Uganda. And by some miracle, she missed her abortion appointment. 
And then she ended up in a crisis pregnancy center and was presented with, you know, a choice. And she said, you know, I choose to pursue the path of adoption. And out of 25 profiles, she looked at me and Rich, and it was just a, it was such a lame profile. I mean, it was like a couple of pictures and a small summary that we had put together in an email a couple summers ago Uh to this lawyer, you know, and she had kept it. And so she presented it along with the 25 other profiles. And um, this young girl, she pointed to us and she said, my heart moved when I saw this couple. And the lawyer actually said, you know what, I don't think that you want this couple. They're, they're in Uganda right now working with orphans and refugees. They're not your average couple. Mm-hmm. And this young birth mother looked at her and said, I'm an orphan from Guatemala. I was found on the streets when I was five years old and I was taken in by Catholic nuns. I was raised by Catholic nuns. I love what they do. I love that these people are missionaries working with refugees and orphans. And that would be a beautiful life for my child. Oh, wow. (laughs) So she, I can't give too much information about, about her identity, but the Catholic nuns did give her the middle name of Guadalupe. And it's very profound for us, considering Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patroness of the unborn. And our little, our little girl was, was scheduled to be aborted. And, um, and so her middle name is, is Maria de Guadalupe. Wow. Our little baby. He was due in March. And so when we experienced this gift out of absolutely nowhere, it completely changed everything you know it it confirmed our call to missions and it also just revealed the goodness of God and his providence and and that he did he had a plan all along and it it was for this child this was the child that he had for us from all eternity and it was at this moment that God wanted to show his brilliance and his beauty and his providence and he gave us this child you know and I I believe that she has a a missionary vocation herself and you know it's even written all across her mother's history i mean this this love of the outcast of of um those on the margins i mean her mother was on the margins she was an orphan and so to raise our little girl in the spirit you know of service and of love of the poor and of the marginalized. I mean, it's just, it's clearly God's plan for this little girl as well, you know? Wow, that's so beautiful. So where where do you go from here? Because now um, Rich gets this phone call. Right. And you feel like this is it, we're, we are supposed to adopt this child. Yes. So what does that process look like? And still being called to Uganda and feeling this call to adoption. Yes. So... Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, he has just opened up each and every door, every step of the way. We have seen real miracles. Mm. You know, it's been amazing. Just being in this position of total dependency on God is so awesome because you see him move. You know, when you need him (laughs) to come through, he comes through. And then it just reinforces your faith and you realize, like, this is all real. Yeah. 
God is real. This is not, you know, some fairy tale make-believe stuff. This is actually real. This is a real God, you know, moving in a real way in my life. And so Rich and I have just had this profound experience of the reality of Jesus and his power. And um, my goodness, we ended up here in this basement of this beautiful deacon and his wife in the state of Wyoming as we await the birth of our little girl. We've met so many amazing people and the, the doors just keep on opening. And so once the finalization takes place and the adoption is complete, the three of us will go back to Uganda. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> We're so wow. excited. And so have you, do you know what your mission will look like there? Or have you thought about what family life is going to be like now with your child and with your mission in Uganda? Do you have any idea of what, what that might look like? Yes, we're, we're definitely, you know, going to cater to the needs of our child. Um, before we were thinking we'd live right on the edge of one of the refugee settlements. Now we'll probably live more toward the city just okay. to be near a hospital and different things. Just because, sure. you know, there's a little one now and we just want to be um, inten- intentional about um, putting our family first and you know, that's what God's calling to is, is to care for this little one. Sure. And at the same time, um, to live in solidarity mm. with the poor. And so we will enter into that life to the very best of our ability and, and actually make northern Uganda our home. Mm. Um, so I think that the beginning of our missionary journey will involve just making Uganda our home. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um making friends there, yeah. entering life, becoming a part of them. You know, we believe in solidarity. We're not going into this place like, oh, we're the American, you know, missionaries, the saviors. And no, 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 no. That's totally not the posture of a missionary. You know, in fact, we're going to go there and they're going to teach us. Mm. They'll be the teachers, we'll be the students, you know, and um, we'll encounter Jesus in them and we just want to be one with them you know jesus is in the poor he's in the eucharist and he's in the poor and we just want to be one with jesus in the poor we want to live in solidarity with our brothers and sisters particularly the south sudanese in the refugee settlements Um, and we have a passion obviously for um, discipleship and obviously um, care of orphans Mm -hmm. widows and refugees so we don't know exactly what our work will look like, but we'll be working in concert with the bishop under his obedience. Mm-hmm. And um, we trust that he knows, you know, what, what the people need and will just be available, mm-hmm. available and at his service mm-hmm. and at the service of the church in northern Uganda. That's beautiful. So up until this adoption, then, you and Rich are just um, speaking and praying and raising funds for this mission. Mm-hmm. So that's what your life is now, is that right? Yes, our life now is we are we're writing a lot. We're we're speaking a lot. Um you know, a lot of opportunities with young people, um speaking engagements with young people and and sharing um about just our walk with Jesus mm-hmm. and living a passionate life of discipleship and what that looks like, mm-hmm. you know, for a married couple and just even as you know, 
young people like I fell in love with Jesus when I was very young. Rich fell in love with Jesus in high school. And mm-hmm. so being able to share that testimony with, with teens. Um, and yes, fundraising and just growing our partnership team, sharing the mission. People hear about it and they just want to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, they just want to, they just, they want to be at the service of what God is doing, you know, and, and we're at the service of what God is doing. And Mother Teresa said something along the lines of some give by going, others go by giving. And so we're just inviting people into this. It's not like we're the, just the two missionaries in this mission. No, everyone who wants to be involved is really acting in a missionary way, mm. you know, giving and um, participating by by praying. There's so many ways to be missionary. You know, mm-hmm. we're trying to invite people into the mission right now. That's a key, um, it's a very key season in the life of the missionary of just partnership development. Mm, I love that. So if people who are listening are interested in following your journey or being a part of that like prayer or financial team that you're talking about, um, and I can put this in the show notes as well, but do you have a website that you direct them to or Absolutely. Facebook page? Absolutely. Yes, we, have a, we do. We do okay. have a website with Family Missions Company. And then, oh, thank you so much. And then yeah. we have, you know, our Facebook page and a blog that we're kind of starting to get going now. Oh, great. Okay, perfect. So that would be awesome. So I'll link to all those. So awesome. People can thank connect you. With you and follow you. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, so I have a few more questions that I want to ask you that I ask all my guests. But before I do that, I just wanted to ask and we didn't talk about this before so <laughs> sorry to put yes. you on the spot but do you have anything you want to say to like young moms who mm-hmm. are just who are listening to this and who are just yeah in in the trenches of life and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how God is speaking to them how God's calling them in in motherhood I think that there's such beauty in vulnerability and in being real, um, I think so much of us carry wounds and things that we think might destroy the mission God has for us or um, make us inadequate in some way, shape, or form. But It's actually these things that are our pot of gold. These are the things that put us in direct contact with our Savior, with our our Lord Jesus. He transforms everything. You know, and he, He uses the things that we might hate to transform the lives of others, you know? And I think that in our vocations, we are called to serve, you know? And so entering that service in a spirit of vulnerability and transparency before Mm -hmm. God and just total humility. Mm -hmm. Um, I love the quote by Rumi, the wound is the place where light enters. And I just think that our Lord just wants to shower his brilliant light into our deepest wounds and the places of our lives where we think we need to remain in the dark, you know, 
bring everything to the forefront and let the Lord transform it with his brilliant light. Mm. You know, he is a mighty God and he does wondrous things and he makes all things new. That's beautiful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's wonderful. Um, So Rachel, I would love to ask you, what is your favorite part of your home and why? Oh my goodness. And I know your home now is here in this basement. Yes. so we just we just sold our our possessions and so we don't have much but we do have our small pictures of Jesus and Mary um we have a very strong devotion to the sacred and immaculate hearts and everywhere we go you know we've moved a lot but everywhere that we go we enthrone our home and our home right now is a basement Praise be Jesus. Our real home is Uganda, but we're currently yeah. in a basement. And um, and we've enthroned this basement to our king and our queen. And it's a devotion um, that, we, that we have found to be just the glue of our family. And mm. it, it brings us everywhere we go. It keeps us together. And it just fills our, our life and our home with the goodness of God. So... And what does that entail, that enthronement process? Like, in th- is it prayers? Do yeah, you kind of entrust sp- your home? Yes, there's a special um, devotion. And maybe I'll give it to you. To, like, yeah, perfect. I'll yes, include that okay. as well. Awesome, because yeah. it's, it's definitely um, a very powerful devotion for the family. Wonderful. And for the home, yes. Okay, great. Wonderful. Um, and what are some things that you've been loving recently? Oh, my goodness. So Rich and I listen to a lot of United Pursuit. Um, so praise and worship. Oh, band. okay. Yes. Great. Andrea Marie is another one of my favorites. She's a musician. Okay. Um, and then as far as books, oh my goodness. So I just love Katie Davis Majors. She is a missionary in Uganda. Okay. Um, an adoptive mother. She's really a champion of adoption. She adopted 13 Ugandan girls wow. before she was married. She was in her 20s. Wow. And now uh, she's married. She has a, a son. So they've got all these kids and they're missionaries. And, and also she's the founder of Amazima Ministries um, in Jinja, Uganda. Okay. And so her family is actually just going to be about seven hours away from us. And I hope, by God's grace, we'll be able to connect with them when wow. we are in Uganda. But yes. um, I flew through her book, Kisses from Katie. It just rocked my world um, two summers ago. And then her most recent book, Daring to Hope, Finding God's Goodness in the Broken and the Beautiful. I'm in the middle of it now, and I highly suggest it. Okay. Awesome read. Great. And then also, um, Bishop Robert Barron's Vibrant Paradoxes, The Both and of Catholicism. Mm, Okay, I haven't heard of this one yet. Totally rocking my world. Um, It's a collection of short essays, and one of my favorites is um, the essay titled A Prophetic Pope and the Tradition of Catholic Social Teaching. Wow, okay. It really rocked my world. Is so. this relatively recently that this came out? Yes, okay. this, this past year, okay. 2017. Okay, wow. So Great, I'll have to check those, those out. Those are my, some of my favorite things right now. Oh. And one of my favorite Christian witnesses whose 
perhaps on the road to canonization is Chiara Corbella Petriu. I'm a huge fan of her and Tell her, us a little bit about her. Oh my goodness. Um, so her story just rocked us. Um, I discovered her in the fall of 2014. I heard about her story and I I asked for her intercession, you know, because me and Rich, we had come home from our honeymoon and I thought I was pregnant and I wasn't. And then, you know, it was negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test. And it was just this this mystery, you know, God, what is your plan for our our life and our family? And um, I discovered Kiara and I asked for her to pray for us and for our family. And um, I think that our little girl is a direct result of her intercession for our family. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, her story goes as such. Basically, she and her husband got married. Um, beautiful Catholic couple. Um, they got pregnant right away. They're, they're from Italy. Um, they got pregnant right away, and she was told that the baby was sick, you know, it was, wasn't healthy, and um, that she should get an abortion. And she decided not to. Um, She gave birth to her little child, Maria. And she held Maria in her arms for about a half hour or so. And the little baby was baptized. And then Maria died in her mother's arms about a half hour after being born. And then they experienced the same thing all over again with their second child, giving birth, having the baby, holding the baby, you know, and then baptizing the baby and then losing the child, you know. And at this point, they became um, these pro-life speakers and sharing, you know, about their journey and about the beauty of life um, and their love of their little kids, even though they had lost them. It was just this profound witness. And she got pregnant a third time. And I hope I'm telling this story correctly, but basically um, she found out that she was diagnosed with, she, she was diagnosed with cancer during this pregnancy. And of course, the suggestion was for her to go through chemotherapy. The little one in her womb was was healthy mm-hmm. and well, and um, she refused the the treatment. and then, she gave birth to her healthy little baby, I believe it's Francesco. And then she ended up dying of cancer. Just a profound story of sacrificial love, of laying down one's life for another. Um, we just see Christ so profoundly in Chiara. Mm. And um, she's just such a witness of joy amidst suffering and sorrow. So. We love her and we consider her to be one of our family, our family's greatest intercessors, as well as our little girl. Wow. An intercessor for our daughter. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's neat. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And then my last question for you is, do you have any mom hacks to share? Things that maybe make, would make your life easier as a mom? Yes. Oh my goodness. So, you know, we've had... 11 kiddos in and out of our home 
over the last four years, and I do not know what I would do without the training that I received at Boys Town. Um, Boys Town Parenting has totally kind of transformed and revolutionized the way we look at um, raising children. Mm. And specifically the Boys Town model of behavior modification. Uh, I'm just so grateful for the wisdom that I received through this model, and it just really helped us. I mean, we dealt with some crazy situations. We had serious behaviors and honestly had to call the police probably close to a dozen times, um, you know, in the last four years as as parents Mm -hmm. and caregivers. And um, knowing how to handle really serious situations. And I know probably the moms listening to this are like, well, my kid's two years old and I don't need to call the police. But really, there's a lot of wisdom. Um, Boys Town has a lot of really great suggestions on, as far as parenting. And um, Can you access it on their website? Do they- yes. Oh, great. Totally, okay. totally. And I think just like empowering parents to just mm. be in control and realize like my kid's behavior is not a reflection on me, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm the parent. I'm the one that needs to stay calm. And as my kid's acting out, your kids act out. I need to stay calm and stay in the driver's seat and just view every situation as a teaching opportunity, you know, and just to remain consistent and to reward good behavior with positive consequences and, and to have a consistent kind of negative some kind of a system where the child would receive negative consequences for negative behavior and just remaining consistent in that. And um, But I highly re- recommend Boys Town. Great. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I'll link to that as well so people awesome. can check it out in the show notes. So <laughs> that's excellent. Well, Rachel, I can't thank you enough for um, taking this time to chat with me. And it has been just such a blessing for me to be able to enter into your life and your story and I know for my husband and as well it has been a blessing so um thank you for just inviting us in into your life I really appreciate that oh my gosh did it we have been so blessed by you guys <laughs> we are so thankful and you've really truly impacted our lives in the time that we've known you so we love you guys thank you You're so sweet <laughs> thank you um well let me go ahead and close this in a prayer awesome Lord Jesus thank you so much for this time together and Lord thank you for the ways that You've called each of us to motherhood in our own unique ways. Pray, God, that you would give us the grace to to see you, Lord, in in our days and in the vocation and mission that you've called us to as moms. Jesus, we offer this day to you in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hi friends, I was so moved by what Rachel shared about the essence of motherhood, laying down one's life for one's children. I also loved her discovery of what she called the secret of intimacy with Christ through prayer and the power of journaling to help us see the Lord's faithfulness. Do you all keep a journal? This week, let's look at some of our past journal entries, maybe even from several years ago, and see how the Lord has been at work in our lives. And if you don't journal regularly, like me, (laughs) maybe now is the time to start, even if it's just weekly prayers or thoughts from the day. 
For more information about Rich and Rachel and how to support their mission, visit the show notes for today's episode at diapersanddisciples.com. Until next time, you all are in my prayers.